Welcome back to episode 10 of Money Equals M Squared, brought to you by Lagos Lucas and Torello Wealth Management. My name is Mike Torello. I'm here with my co-host, Mike Lucas, and today we're going to talk a lot about college planning and the cost of education. So, Mike, what we're going to do today, we're going to take on the six main topics that we get asked about all the time, which is how much does it cost to go to college, what types of financial aid are available, the different types of loans that are available, saving plans for college, what type of goals you should have with college planning, and how to actually pay for school. Yeah, many people come to us, Mike, and they say something like, I want to start planning for my son's college or daughter's college. Um, but they don't actually know the cost of college. So what goes into the cost of college and where should clients start? Yeah, I mean, I'd say one of the biggest things that people don't realize is how much college costs. They hear numbers, they hear how expensive it is, but they don't actually know what the actual number is. So the biggest thing that I like to explain to people first is what goes into making up that cost. So the first thing is tuition, right? Tuition is literally your cost to sit in the classroom. You know, a lot of people think of tuition as the all-encompassing cost of attending college. That's actually just your cost for your classes. On top of that, you're going to have some fees that are going to be associated. You know, every school has some type of technology fee for whatever type of platform they're using. There's going to be extra fees if you're living there, things for food, room and board, the gyms, types, that type of stuff, as well as paying for your books. So what I like to encourage everybody to do is head on to collegeboard.org, the College Board's website, um, which if you have a child that's in high school, it's getting ready to go to college, this is something that they're going to be familiar with anyways. But if your children are young and you're just starting the planning process, go there, start searching for schools. And from there, you can click on the cost tab and see the exact cost today of any school in the country. <laughs> so once we're figuring out what colleges cost, the next thing we want to look at really is what type of financial aid is available, the different types of aid and how people can get those aids and take us through. So Mike, why don't you talk a little bit about the different categories of aid and everything like that? Yeah, so financial aid generally falls into three different categories, Mike. You've got scholarships, grants, and loans. So the most confusing part is the loans part of it. Um, Mike, why don't you take a second to walk us through the loans area? Yeah, so with loans, with college loans, there's mainly two types of, of loans. You're talking about your federal loans and your private loans. Private loans are very simple to explain and understand. It's basically gonna fill the last gap of paying for college after you've taken advantage of any scholarships and grants, which we'll go back to in a second, um, any federal loans, and then that last piece is gonna be private loans for the portion that you're not gonna pay for yourself. Those private loans are gonna have the highest interest rates of any type of college loan that's out there. They're gonna be issued by a specific college lender or a lot of big banks are offering college loans as well. Um, those rates are gonna be some of the higher rates you're gonna see on a, lending, on a lending basis, but they're able to fill those gaps for you. With federal loans, you have two types. You're gonna have your subsidized loans and your unsubsidized loans. Subsidized loans are need-based loans that the key with them is they do not accrue interest while you're attending college. So those are very advantageous for people that qualify for subsidized loans on a need-based basis. Unsubsidized loans are federal loans that are available to every college student in the country. Those are going to accrue interest while you're in college. However, with unsubsidized and subsidized loans, payments aren't due on any of the money until six months after you've graduated from school or you've dropped your enrollment below half time. 
So, Mike, why don't we head back? Why don't we talk a little bit about what are scholarships and what are grants and how can people take advantage of those? Sure. So in a scholarship, you, you could have two main types of scholarships, academic scholarships. In a lot of cases, you'll have to have maintain a certain GPA average to, to have that scholarship. And obviously, there's athletic scholarships. Athletic scholarships are, are traditionally, it's D1 and D2. Um, you know, and, and obviously you have to participate in the sport to get that type of scholarship. But it could be a full scholarship, it could be a partial scholarship that's used to go towards that tuition that you would normally pay. You know, and I think that's important to mention because a lot of people, when they think of scholarships, they think of a full scholarship. They don't recognize that there's partial scholarships out there, um, especially with academic scholarships. Um, again, use the College Board as a great reference point, but you can check out every individual school's qualifications for each of their different levels of academic scholarship, what's required to have that coming out of high school, and what's required to maintain that scholarship while you're actually in school. Makes sense. Um, the other piece, you know, as far as that goes, kind of wrapping up the different types of aids would be grants. Grant money is money that's coming out of each university's endowment, and essentially there's not a lot of requirements to receive grant money. The biggest thing that I try to encourage everyone to realize is Going to college and looking at the price for a university is similar to buying a car. It has your sticker price. And if you go on the College Board's website, they're actually going to use the term sticker price when they list the tuition. However, you're going to see high percentages that receive financial aid. Some of that financial aid is in the form of loans. Some of that form financial aid is in the form of scholarships. And then what the final part is grant money, which is what the university is just giving out as money from their endowment, from their donations that they've received that helps lower the overall tuition. So an example that I gave that I was just looking at, you know, kind of preparing for today was, was my school where I went. I went to Pace University and Pace's tuition price is $48,000 a year this year. However, 65% of students receive some type of financial aid and the average paid price per student is $32,000 a year. So that means on average, there's $13,000 in aid that each student is receiving, not everyone's paying that sticker price. So Mike, if someone, let's say someone wants to get involved or find out if there's a grant available, what's the most common way they would be able to do that? Yeah, so the biggest thing, again, for those university-specific grants, it's either through the actual university website, through the financial aid department, um, or utilize the College Board as a resource to be able to look up what those grants are. Some of those grants are specific for certain types of people, certain classes of people and things like that. Other ones are just general grants that are available as additional non-need-based aid to help lower your overall cost of tuition. So someone might be specializing in like nursing or, you know, financial services. There might be grants specifically in that arena. Exactly. A lot of, a lot of universities will have uh, specific alumni that are donating back to students that are specializing in what they specialize in. So they're going to have money that's available for those type of students. And typically with grants, you don't need to apply for them. They're just there and available. Sometimes you have to ask about them. Sometimes they're just going to show up in your financial aid package. Interesting. Awesome. So let's take a break here. That's half of our questions. We'll head into our community spotlight and then we'll finish up with kind of the planning and how to actually spend the money for college. Sounds good. Welcome to this week's community spotlight, the segment of our show where we focus in on the small businesses that are in our community. This week, we're focusing in on the library wine bar and bistro located at 60 North Main Street in Wallingford, Connecticut. They can be reached on the phone at 203-678-4656 or online at thelibrarywinebar.com. 
The library has combined the essence of historical downtown Wallingford with exquisite cuisine, along with a worldwide wine selection to bring you Wallingford's most unique dining experience. The Library Wine Bar and Bistro is Wallingford's original town library. Built in 1899, it was passionately and lovingly restored back to its classic architectural beauty in 2014. The Masella family invites you to come and dive into a new chapter of an old Wallingford landmark. Savor the comforts of traditional cuisine, wine, and spirits while nestled at a comfortable table near our cozy fire and let the story begin. Again, that's the Library Wine Bar and Bistro located at 60 North Main Street in Wallingford, Connecticut. Welcome back. Today we're talking about planning for college and going over some of the costs and some of the ways to save. So with that, Mike, why don't you dive in, kind of talk about the different ways and the different methods that people can use to save to send someone to college. Yeah, Mike, there are a lot of different ways. We're going to narrow down four basic ones we'll talk about today. The first one is the 529 College Savings Plan. You know, there's no max, um, but you can't have total in that account more than $550,000. The second is an ESA, which stands for Educational Savings Account. That has a max contribution of $2,000 per year. The third is UTMA, Uniform Transfer to Minor. Um, that's basically just an, a, a general investing account that's going to be in the minor's name. And the last is general investing. You know, we talk a lot about college savings and plans along those lines. That you know, that doesn't make that that's good for college. But you can have any type of general investing that you can use to pay a type of tuition. You know, if you if your grandparents bought you Apple stock back in the day, you can sell that and use it for tuition. So um, let's take a couple minutes. We'll talk about some of the benefits and weaknesses of each. Um, so we'll, we'll first talk on 529s. So it's probably the most common way for most people save for retirement. It's the most advertised way for retirement. And when you put that money in those accounts, um, it's earmarked specifically for college or secondary education. So that money goes in, it grows on the tax deferred basis. And as long as it's used for secondary education or any type of college costs, um, it is tax free when you take that money out. There's a nice benefit to it. It's allowed to grow on a, on a regular basis. And there are some plans uh, that allow for in-state uh, tax deductions. Um, you know, we won't get into that specifically today, uh, but there are some things you want to chat with your advisor to see if it does qualify for some tax deduction. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the, you know, the potential state tax deduction, right? So each 529 plan is offered by each individual state, and there's a ton of different investment providers that provide the different states plan. So like here in Connecticut, Fidelity provides the, the CHEP plan, which is the Connecticut Higher Education Trust, which it doesn't mean that's the only plan you have to use in Connecticut. That's just the state sponsored plan that's here in Connecticut, which would be the one you'd have to use in order to take advantage of that state tax deduction. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes, you know, if you're, if you're not comfortable with it, you can go to other areas, but like you said, you won't be able to deduct that for state taxes, which is okay. Uh, it's a small amount anyway. Um, so, so next, specifically, we'll talk about general investing. Like we said before, you, know, you might have gotten savings bonds when you were kids. You, know, you, you might have you know, old stocks that were you know, gifted to you. Um, it doesn't make a difference how you pay for tuition. You could sell any type of holding in a general investment account and use it to pay tuition. You know, some of the downfalls to that, though, is you might have to pay taxes on any of the gains that are inside that account. So like we talked about before, that 529 is specifically designed for college. And as long as you use it for college, you know, there generally isn't any type of tax consequences with it. 
But if you had a, an account for a long time and it's grown and it is just a general investing account or a non-retirement account, you're gonna have to probably pay some sort of taxes you know, to get. So that's a drawback you know, to use general investing account. You know, if you're working closely with us, we can help you earmark that where we can avoid some of those taxes and, and some of those situations. Yeah, so I mean, the biggest thing with someone that's gonna use a general investing account is you're gonna have a lot more flexibility. But because of that flexibility, you're gonna give up some benefits, right? So one of the big benefits of utilizing a specific college plan like a 529 is you're gonna get the preferential tax treatment. Whereas, like you said, you might have to owe some taxes to be able to sell those holdings inside of a general investing account, but the money doesn't have to be used for college. Correct. So, so the benefit of that account is, let's say you don't go to school, you know, you go to a, a trade or you go right into the industry, you know, general investing account, you don't have to worry about any type of penalties for that. Um, you know, just on a second note with general investing, Mike, you know, back in the day, you know, at, at, we, we used to be able to load up life insurance accounts with cash value. And, you know, as long as you use them properly, you can use some of that cash value in a more efficient manner to pay for school too, and kind of push taxes along down the lines. So that is another area that a lot of people have utilized over the last 10, 15 years, is using some of that cash value that accrues inside of a life insurance policy to pay some tuition. And I know I, you and I were yeah. talking about it before, but go ahead. Yeah, no, it, I think it's one of the things like, it all comes down to what the parents wanna do with the goal for their kids, right? So like, the again, life insurance, it gives you more flexibility than locking the money into a college plan where you have to use that money for college or you're gonna end up paying some tax penalties and taxes and things like that. But the life insurance just gives you, gives you more options. You can utilize that cash value for anything. And if you use it properly, there could be some preferential tax treatment with it as well. So it kind of falls into that middle ground as opposed to being just the college plan or just the general investment. Yeah, I mean, nice. it's nice to set up those, and it's not like a lot of those accounts cost a lot of money to get started. And the nice part about it is that if they don't use it for college, it's an asset that you can, they can start their, you know, their, their career with once they graduate. Right, it, it, it gives you that money that you're able to, to gift down to your children that you can do something else with, right? College is only one important milestone in a child's life. So if we put everything towards college and then they don't go to school, we end up on our heels with what do we do with this money? But also, even if they go to school, they're still going to want to do things like get married, buy a house, possibly start a business where some of these other asset classes can help them with that as well. Yeah. And I think you bring up a good point there. So we got to figure out what to do with this if they don't use it for school. Keep in mind that any money that's saved in any of these type of accounts, and if a child doesn't go to school, those are all really good problems to have. It's not like that money just goes away. You know, you'll, you'll be able to get the money out of these accounts. You might have to pay a little bit of penalties, but it's going to be a money saved versus money spent back in the day. So it's still a good thing no matter what. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. So, Mike, well, tell us a little bit more about the ESA and the UTMA account. Yeah, so, so the ESA and the UTMA are both very similar to um, kind of what we've already talked about. The, the ESA stands for Education Savings Account. This was an older college plan that was created before the 529 plans were created. And the way the ESA works is the money's going to go in and grow on a tax-deferred basis for you. And same thing with the withdrawals of the 529 as long as the money's used for college. However, the contribution limits are capped at $2,000 per year. And that limit has not changed uh, to be indexed with inflation in a long time. So it's something that was 
very impactful when the plan was first created, but as the cost of college has continually gone up, it's something that hasn't been that impactful now as much as it was in the past. Yeah, I mean, if you look back, I think that these were created when IRAs were created and at the same dollar amount, and IRAs have grown and, and, and increased substantially, this one has still uh, left, been left behind. Absolutely. So then, and just kind of wrapping up the different types of plans, you know, talking about, you know, the UTMA accounts. So UTMA accounts are accounts where a parent can open the account as the custodian in the child's name. And they're essentially gifting that money immediately to the child and it becomes their account when they reach the age of majority in their state, which in Connecticut is age 18, um, where now it becomes a child's money. That child can then use that account for anything. So it's something that you know parents can earmark towards college. They can take distributions out at any point during the child's life to spend the money on the child because it is the child's money and they're the custodian and they're choosing how to spend it for that child. But the key that I try to make important to parents is once they reach that age of majority, it is the child's account. They can then do whatever they want with it and we have to transfer it over to them um, for them to become the owner on it. But it can be money that you can gift, you can use for college expenses, or you can use some of those other expenses that we were talking about as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the other benefits of that UTMA account, it's taxed at the minor's rate versus the owner's rate. Right, exactly, because that money is the minor's account. You're just the custodian as the parent, as opposed to you owning the account in your own investment, where then it's going on your own tax return as what as you as the owner on it. So a little bit of an advantage there to have that in the child's name and save you a little bit money of taxing versus the general investing. Absolutely, and, and again, like we've been talking about with every single type of plan, there's pros and cons to both sides of it. And I think the important thing is to sit down with someone like us go over those pros and cons and figure out which one of these plans really makes the most sense for your own situation as opposed to trying to guess and do it yourself. All right, Mike, so let's talk a little bit about some of the goals for planning for school. Yeah, so planning for school, you know, we talked a lot about, right? So what's the cost of school? How are we going to save? What types of aid are available? But the biggest question that I ask every single parent is, how much do you think you can save and how much do you want to save? But don't tell me in a dollar amount. The biggest thing is what can you accomplish? So with a lot of parents, you know, they sit down, they say, I want to pay for college. But does that mean they're going to cover four years of a private institution, room and board and 100%? Most people, the answer is no. But then is the, is the right answer two years of tuition only at a state school? It doesn't matter what the answer is, but we really want to nail down that goal and do some planning to then turn it into a monthly savings amount to be able to accomplish that goal. Yeah, I mean, everyone's different. You know, I, I know some parents are very strong whether they want to pay for school or, hey, listen, I paid for school, so you know, I want little Johnny to pay for school. So, you know, I think the biggest part of what we do is having to get a plan and what they want to accomplish, a client wants to accomplish, and then we can kind of go from there. Yeah, and, and the biggest thing that, you know, I like to communicate to the client is communicate that to your child with whatever you've saved, right? You know, don't let your child be surprised when they're choosing their school that they may have to take out loans themselves. You know, if you've saved for two years of, you know, a state school of tuition, let them know like, hey, this is what I saved for for you and this is what we have. If that's not gonna hold a child back from choosing a school, but help them make that decision so then there's no surprises when they get out of school and now they're an adult and they may have to pay those loans themselves if that's the route that you take. Um, another point that I always like to mention to parents, you know, let's say you fall short on your savings goal. 
there are parent loans that are available. You can always take loans for college in a parent's name where the parent can make those payments after school. So like you said, for some people it's college is the most important thing and I need to pay for that for my child. But maybe you started saving later in life and you didn't finish the savings goal. You can still pay for school with loans as well as some other payment plans and things we're going to talk about in a second. Yeah, and I think a lot of a lot of people that are saving for for tuition and things along those lines, Mike, is don't forget for school for most people is four years. So it's not like you get to college and then you're done. You don't have to save anymore. You know, even if you really wanted to participate, you've got really three and a half more years to sock away some more money and help out as as, as much as you can, right? Absolutely. And, and most of the savings plans that we're going to create for people are going to include them saving monthly through the time that the child's in college. We know that there's going to be other expenses that are going to pop up, but it adds extra, an extra four years to the plan. It's four more years of monthly contributions as opposed to just stopping when they graduate high school and saying, here's the pile we have and now go spend it all at once. Yep. So the last thing we talked about, you know, what happens when you actually get the bill? How do you actually pay the university pay the college for the bill that you now have for school. Yeah, there's a bunch of different ways that you could pay for those type of things, Mike. But uh, first and foremost, if you have one of those 529 accounts or ESA accounts, when you do your distribution from that, which will obviously help you with, um, we can send that money directly to the institution, to the college or the university. Um, so that'll help you, it'll save you a step. Um, if not, it can go directly to the parents. The parents would then forward it over to the institution. Um, the other things is, is, is how the institution get paid is through the loan. The loan company will directly send that money to the school when that tuition is due. Um, and then the last thing is you could pay the school directly. Some schools allow for like a payment plan so that can get coordinated prior uh, to schedule that. So those are the four main ways that you actually pay for school. You've got directly to the institution, parents, then the institution. Um, you can go through the loans companies, which will directly send that money to the institution and then payment plan, which obviously is something that you could do on a regular basis. Yeah. And I'd say the most, the most common ways that people are paying for school are through loans and through college plans that they've saved money for. And the, the important thing there is we can make that extremely easy because the loans are going to be directly dispersed right to the university. We can set up your college plans to pay the money out directly to the university. So you never have to touch it. So you don't have to worry about writing that big check or depositing it into your bank account and, and getting it there on time. We can help handle all those distributions to make it a seamless and easy process for you. Yeah, and, and obviously, you know, one of the things is a lot of people get worried about, hey, you know, is, is the IRS going to come after me because, you know, I, you didn't use this money for school? Well, if the check's sent directly to the school, they're, they're really not going to Right, that, that's, that's the easiest thing. You know, when we're talking about, you know, making sure that those distributions are, you know, tax qualified, sending the money directly to the school makes it a very easy line item when you're doing your taxes next year. Absolutely. Awesome. So I think that wraps up, you know, today, you know, we were talking about college and kind of the planning process, but uh, wraps up the episode for today. So make sure you check us out online at LLTWM.com or on Instagram at Team LLT. Thanks. Thank you. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily the views and opinions of Satera Investment Services. Any recommendations mentioned in this episode are meant for educational purposes only and should not be construed as advice or personal recommendations. Always consult your financial advisor, tax advisor, or attorney for details related to your specific risks, goals, and objectives. Investments have risk and can lose value. They are not FDIC insured. 
The situations presented are hypothetical to illustrate key topics and should not be construed as actual client situations or experiences. Lagus Lucas and Torello Wealth Management operates under Satera Investors and is responsible for the production of this show. All views and opinions are solely that of Lagus Lucas and Torello Wealth Management. You should always obtain a prospectus when available prior to investing to know your risk, costs, and fees associated with the investment. The advice and strategies presented today are general in nature and should not be used in your planning until you consult with your attorney and CPA on your specific situation. A diversified portfolio does not assure a profit or protect against loss in a declining market. Asset allocation is an investment strategy that will not guarantee a profit or protect you from loss. Satera Investors is a marketing name of Satera Investment Services, securities and insurance offered through Satera Investment Services, LLC, member FINRA SIPC, advisory services offered through Satera Investment Advisors, LLC. Satera is under separate ownership from any other named entity, 127 Washington Avenue, second floor west, North Haven, Connecticut, 06473, phone number 203-239-4545. Individuals affiliated with this broker-dealer firm are either investment advisor representatives who offer only investment advisory services and receive fees based on assets or registered representatives who offer brokerage services and receive transaction-based compensation or both an investment advisor representative or registered representative who can offer both types of services.